Welcome to the latest episode of Jonesing for Jessica, the show that's covering Netflix and Marvel's Jessica Jones, uh, the latest series on Netflix. Uh, we're up to episode 8, a.k.a. WWJD, What Would Jessica Do? Um, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Um, just for anybody who's new to our podcast, we focus each episode on a specific episode of the show. So uh, we'll be talking primarily about episode eight, and we will not have any spoilers for future episodes. So we don't expect you to have listened, I'm sorry, to have watched the whole show at this point. I personally have not. I am saving myself one episode by one episode. Um, And uh, we should introduce our guests. Yes. uh, With every single episode, we have really cool, fun guests to hear their opinions of the show. Uh, Returning to... Our radio show, she's appeared before, Sarah Jaffe. Uh, Sarah is a reporting fellow at Nation Institute and giant nerd who once upon a time wrote about comic books more than she wrote about politics. Uh, she has lots of feelings about superheroes and movies and their politics. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Sarah L. Jaffe. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and the second person is Amanda Mayer, who's a writer, performer, and director living in New York City. She can currently be seen playing with the musical improv team Goats every Tuesday night at the Magnet Theater. She's also sometimes a lawyer, which is very, very useful for this episode. You can find her at Panda Bear. Uh, we're going to tweet up both of them, so you can find us at Graphic Policy and tweet us your thoughts as well for those listening live. Welcome, Sarah and Amanda. How are you doing? Hello. Good. Thanks for having us. Yay. So, so I did just want to say that, um, you know, Whenever we talked about episode eight, and this is something I've been hearing since people began binge watching the show, basically, uh, this is like the episode that everybody keeps telling me is their favorite episode. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's not yours. It's one of mine. Oh, it's one of your, yeah. It's absolutely, when when you said episode eight, I was so excited because I loved this episode so much. Sarah, how does it rank for you? I don't know if I could rank them, but I I feel like this is one where I was on edge the whole time going, this is probably going to go way off the rails somewhere in here. And (laughs) it's been really, so that's good. But um, I was certainly like, "Mm, yeah. And I I rewatched it today before doing this because I watched the whole thing however long ago that was. And... Yeah, it was certainly like this could have gotten like very hashtag problematic very quickly, <laughs> and mostly mostly avoided the pitfalls I was worried it was going to fall into. So I mean that was good, I guess. Cool. Do you, actually, I'd love it if you could tease out some of those pitfalls specifically, and we will go through the show sort of from beginning to end. But it seems to be good yeah. entry point. Yeah, I mean, so this is the episode where we suddenly get some insight into Kilgrave and who he is and what made him who he is. Right. And also this like weird potential thing of like, Oh, can I like actually make him into a good guy? And I'm just like, "Mm, I don't, you know, I don't really know if that's where we want to go with a show that is like deeply analogizing rape and sexual assault and other kinds of deep trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. That was my like, oh, well, we can just, yeah, we can just sort of make him into a good guy now. And I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Like, the fir- Yeah, the first time I watched it, too, I had the exact same feeling when they started kind of going down that slope. I'm just like, what are you yeah. thinking? Like, what the hell? And, there, you know, it, there's that nice twist at the end where it doesn't quite happen. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, so I, I'm totally with you as a, another viewer on that one. And I, yeah. you know, this is sort of a theme that was prefigured earlier when um, Hogarth had herself, Hogarth, the, uh, the the lawyer, had said, you know, what would I do if I could have that power? Like I could use it for good. And Jess is very firm in that moment, saying, no, yeah. it can't be used that way because it is mind rape. Um, and right. she, you know, remains really firm within that until this episode where she actually questions it. Yeah. Which I think is an important episode to do because I think a lot of viewers are probably asking those same questions. And it's interesting to me that the show came out so close to Star Wars because one of the most mm-hmm. famous examples of mind control ever is Star Wars. Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, these are not the droids you're looking for. And, right, you know, and they actually referenced that in this episode. Yep, yep, absolutely. And what's interesting is like, in the case of Star Wars, that particular moment of mind control is sort of, it's like a light thing, but it is still somebody changing somebody's mind without their consent. And, um, you know, that's still an, a central question that a lot of superhero-related narratives deal with, but especially this one. Yeah. So I do want to sort of start from the beginning of the podcast. Oh, and just real quick for some context. Um, uh, Amanda, you have not read the comic series. You've just seen the show, correct? I've just seen the show. And also, okay, by way cool. of context, I'm a really big Doctor Who fan, which definitely skews a lot of my opinions, I think. <laughs> just knowing David Tennant intimately as I do, it just yeah. adds a whole other creep factor, which I love. Oh, cool, cool. And Sarah is not a Jessica Jones reader pr- previously, right? Right, yes. Yeah, okay, cool. So this episode... Uh, it, you know, it could have sort of be described as being one of those like crazy parlor room choices where like somebody proposes an intellectual question and you sort of at, figure out like how you would answer it. Um, yeah. And it definitely sounds like what would Jessica do is really what should Jessica do until the very end when we see what Jessica does do and makes her choice. Um, so we begin the episode with the flashback and um, the flashback was really hard for me to watch. Like, we had not heard the details of her accident yet. This was, we hadn't really known much about it. And um, I felt like I, it was painful sort of for me to watch this flashback. Even, like, it's super ordinary. Everything with her family is very ordinary. And in a way that made it really, like, hurt. Yeah, I agree that the fact that it is so normal makes it, I I think it just hits that little button of not knowing is the is the last kind of crappy thing you did the last moment for someone. I think it's that yeah. button that gets pressed really hard. Yeah. Um, then we go from the flashback to her just, you know, like looking really around the house. I was struck by how cold the house feels. Like it's a really nice house. You know, it's got really good natural light. But at no point do you look at the house and think, like, even in the flashbacks, in fact, for me, do I, do I not look back at the house and think, like, oh, I'd actually like to be there? Like, it always feels cold and weird. It feels very Stepford when I blue. watch it. Mm, sorry? It, it feels, like, very, like, Stepford sort of way, like the stereotypical suburban house that you would see in pictures that have, like, no life yeah. or no soul. Yeah, but I think that works really well for what it is, right? Because, like, we are seeing this thing that he tried to sort of recreate from pictures um, mm-hmm. in order to make her happy that obviously is not what she really wants because it's not her house, right? The thing that she misses about her house is her family who died horribly. So 
he can't recreate that by, you know, like copying the Nirvana poster on her wall or whatever it was. I mean, yeah, throughout the whole episode. Nirvana poster? She has Nirvana. There's one Nirvana and white chili peppers. And yeah, I was like, I was like, wow, in terms of like time and place, they definitely nailed it. And now (laughs) it's our generation. And this is, you know, been demonstrated. And she listens to the bands that she would have listened to. Like that was all very in character. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a weird um, question? mm -hmm. Did anybody else when that very beginning of the episode where they're just like walking through the house, was anybody else reminded of Beauty and the Beast in like a weird, creepy, I built this for you prisoner kind of way? <laughs> there was a whole, I hadn't been, but I think it's an excellent analogy. Wow. Like, you just love me now. Stockholm yeah. Syndrome. And it's like, no. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's really real. interesting. This whole episode is really, you really see a number of different times. Kilgrave mistakes things for feelings. Like right. he completely mistakes, ah. you know, spending money for, for on somebody with them loving you. He thinks that he can replace her family by buying the things. Like it's just a continual thing through this episode. Right. Right. And, and you sort of get at that. Will. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, oh, I pay, I pay these people really well, but then I also tell them to slice their faces off if she doesn't come back in time. Right. That like. You know, there's all these weird things where he, like, sort of knows how to be a human, but doesn't really. You know, I was interesting, the dynamic between him and the staff that he hired, because I feel like the way he interacts with the um, the, the, the bodyguards and the way he interacts mm-hmm. with the, the house, the kitchen staff are completely different. Like, the, he doesn't actually do mind control stuff and try to hurt his bodyguards. He does that to the kitchen right. staff. And he begins yeah. by treating the kitchen staff sort of like, oh, I'm a nice guy. He ends the episode torturing them, you right. know? Yeah. I think it's like he's like, they're sort of like part of this like dressed up plan where the bodyguard's there for him. So the way that I saw it was like, in the beginning, he's fine to them because he's still at this like optimistic phase of the beginnings of Operation Woo Jessica and then right. when it starts to go south, that is the first way that he goes is to have them, like, peel their faces off. But the right. bodyguard isn't a part of Operation Jessica. He's just there. And he doesn't sort of get that, like, moody change deal that they do. Hmm. Hmm. Well, when Jessica comes in, she says, you know, that she does not consent to search. And, of course, he searches her anyway. Um, right, yeah. He's, he's condescending to her. He's like... He gaslights her throughout the whole episode and negs her like every two minutes. Um, right. But there's a couple of great lines that they say. I just want to pull him out of the dialogue, which was, I knew it wasn't out of love. I'm not delusional, just optimistic. Which, again, I just right. think it really highlights the whole thing where he thinks he's in a romantic comedy. And Kilgrave knows... is a men's rights act. You know, Kilgrave is a pickup artist. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> moment when like, do you ever think maybe you drink too much? I was like, what is this? Mystery? Jesus. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, there's definitely a point yeah. that people have been, uh, people have, been uh, uh, have been raising in the, throughout the show. You know, he's such a perfect oh portrayal of that. Um, yeah. And then they keep going, to, they keep, he keeps consent, like it's sort of like a word game. And this is something that right. I've heard increasingly from like, you know, MRA dudes when I read about their stuff on the internet. Like, he, the way you like couch words, like, I promise I won't touch you until I get your genuine consent. Um, like, and then sort of being like, well, is it consent if I do this? 
Or does this imply your right. consent? Like a legal yeah. kind of game, basically. Right. Well, right. And it, it's that, you know, the minute that he, like, does anything that's, like, vaguely sort of decent, he pushes, he immediately crosses the line, right? So, like, when he, like, drives off the creepy neighbor, you know, and then he immediately, yeah. like, touches her and she's like, don't fucking touch me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he cannot possibly, like, stop himself from crossing a line. And so, I mean, I guess, like, I think that's what bothers me is that, like, or, I don't even know if it bothers me. I just, like, expected it to be worse than it was where, like, you know, again, this is the episode where, like, if you're ever going to sort of try to humanize him, this is where it comes in. And I'm just like, okay, great. Like, he was tortured as a child. That sucks. That's awful. That explains why he is what he is. That doesn't justify it. And, oh, like, yeah, comics has a not real great, history and marvel <laughs> movies have a not real great history of confusing the two so. yeah. that's very true though i you know i feel like in the end of the day the show did a good job of being like these bad things happen to him and it excuses nothing i i know right. from following the conversations that the public has had that there are members of the public who don't understand it that way because those members of the public are yeah. assholes but i do think that the show achieves its goal of being like yeah this horrible shit happened to him but it doesn't excuse what he does it may, right. it may be the reason why, but it doesn't excuse what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's I don't know, and David Tennant is so good, right, that he's just, oh, like, he's so very good. good at being evil, and also you, you want to like him because he's David Tennant, right? Yeah. 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 There's, so, there's something really subtle in when he's initially walking around. I don't know if anyone else noticed it. He he mispronounces coup, uh, coup de gras. Yes, and it's oh, really really so. I don't know. Effective. Yeah, well, I don't know if that's like an English pronunciation, but I'm assuming that he just mispronounced it and doing it on purpose because it's almost it's like a subtle hint that while he thinks he's refined and has all these like great tastes with with uh, butlers and all that stuff, that he really doesn't. Like he is mm-hmm. all. That. Mm. Class and security. Yeah, yeah, and and with the butlers and all that coming together, like I, I noticed it in this episode for the first time, and it kind of all clicked. And I was like, oh, it's like all a show. He really is just full of shit. Yeah, but I mean, I I, I hesitate to judge somebody's inability to pronounce something that you might have read and not said out loud as like a trait that means he's a bad guy. Like I do that. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, I don't I, really I, want to say that that makes him a bad guy, it, you know, um, but it is interesting because I, I think that, like, he does sort of, again, he mistakes money for other things that money is not a lot. So he says, you know, we ju- lived in five-star hotels, and she's like, and you raped me. Yeah. <laughs> and this, oh, this well, is also yeah. the first episode where that word is used. Yeah, yeah. in terms of her. Yeah. And so that's supposed to I hope. And a- actually, that's something I want to bring up. In the comics, the comics are very explicit that while he violates her, in, you know, emotionally and mentally, and he rapes other women, in the comics, he does not actually rape Jessica, um, which, I thought was an, which I thought was an interesting point that the comics were making to say, like, it doesn't have to be sexual for something to be raped. So when the show yeah. decided to say that he also sexually raped her, I wasn't really sure how I felt about that. Um, um so I don't know if folks want to reflect on that decision a little bit. I mean, having not read the comics, I can't really. Mm-hmm. 
having not read the comics, I still will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an. I think it's a smart choice to having saying this completely sight unseen. Having having this character, you know, rape other characters and mentally and in other ways sort of put his influence on Jessica, but not physically rape her. It almost creates this weird thing of like because he loves. It sort of draws this odd distinction, uh-huh. and I almost prefer in the show saying. No, this is this character. This is what he does. And even though he cares for Jessica as much as he is physically capable of caring for anyone, I think parsing that out in the comic uh, sort of changes what we're saying about how he sees his relationships. Because if he does it to other people but not to her, that means that he sees it as wrong. Or whereas in this, like he was arguing that it it wasn't rape because they were living in five star hotels. And I think it just right. clarifies things to have him treat her that mm. way. He physically mm-hmm. rapes her. He mentally takes her over. And I think it works better as a piece. Yeah. Pretty Again, I've read absolutely nothing. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you know, the interesting thing about, like I, I said this on the first, when I was on talking about the first episode, like it's an interesting show because it uses other things as a metaphor for rape rather than rape as a metaphor for other things, which is what usually happens. Mm-hmm. Um and so it is interesting that this is where you finally get to the like, no, 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 just because you bought me a night, basically because you bought me dinner doesn't mean I was obligated to have sex with you, right? Which is like, again, like, hi, how many women know that? Have had that story? All of us. Yeah. yeah. Yes, all women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, it's literally the, once again, the like, you, I, yeah, you bought me some things. So whatever. And, and again, I feel like there are so many moments in the course of this show where women are just like, oh, my God, yes, that. Um, One of the, but I still like that it's not always just about rape, right? It's not yeah. always just about he forced me to have sex by telling me that I wanted to have sex with him. Um, that it's often about, you know, you force these people to cook for you and then stare out the window without blinking for four hours or however long it is. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most powerful ones, and, it, and it's a few episodes prior the woman who says that he just told her to keep smiling for hours. Yes, that, that one. one. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yes. is so great. I mean, no, yes. it's so, so terrible, but it's such a yeah. great installation yeah. of what and women I, are talking about as these are all right. problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and it keep, the smile thing just comes up so many times over the course yeah. of the show that I, it's just like, yes, somebody understands this, wrote this show, right? Yeah, this is definitely like, this show has a female showrunner, and I don't think we could have had these results without a female showrunner. I honestly don't. No, of don't. course not. Yeah. You know? They, I, and I think like, a male showrunner could have done a very feminist show, but there are subtleties right. that a male showrunner would not have yeah. known to include in the way that she knew to include. Mm-hmm. Right. I can yeah. attest to that, um, that these are small details that I'm <laughs> clueless on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, and that's important to hear. I, I mean, you know, one, one other thing about the way he's, the dialogue about consult, consent in the show goes is he makes the point that he can't tell when someone's consenting or not to him because of the way his powers work. He can't tell if he's controlling them or if they're speaking independently. And that yeah, kind that of claim reminds of me of those thoughts. guys who are like, well, I was drunk. I don't remember what she said or... I mean, she said yes, so I assume that's what she meant. Like, that kind of dialogue, it just sounds yeah. like exactly those sort of defenses. I guess. I mean, I, I feel like that was one of the, the points during the show where I was, like, flinching and waiting for the, you know, like, this is not a good argument. This is not a good argument. 
a I bad argument. If you wanted to. Yeah. But, oh God. Yeah. This is, this is a bad argument. <laughs> I actually didn't find it quite so. Maybe I'm a terrible person. I actually kind of, since you see it so close in time to when you learn about his past as a child within that same episode, there was a little, which I think, I think this is part of why he works so well as this horrible villain, because you could see how that moment where he just says stop and get away and his parents do and they don't know why. Yeah. And they're sort of like parsing out what's happening. You could sort of see how if that were to happen to a child who suddenly had this ability, how in now in certain situations, yes, that it might be difficult to know because children do sort of say things and declare to senses of give me that toy. And a child might not be able to understand that doesn't justify throw hot coffee on your face because no one's ever going to throw hot coffee on their face. Like if that's where I go, but that was the one moment I was like, this is some good shading to this character. And even though I don't buy it, you can sort of see why he would buy it because it's easier for him to buy it than to do with everything else. You know, one thing about giving people commands that I really thought is during the uh, during the part where her horrible neighbor comes by, which, by the way, the second time I watched the episode, I was dreading that moment. Like, I did not want to have to see her horrible neighbor come by. Um, when Jessica Jessica basically uses Kilgrave voice to say stop to, to her, like Jessica pulls out a full-on Kilgrave-level command-sounding voice against the neighbor, but it doesn't work. And then, right. of course, Kilgrave does what he does, which I think is such an interesting illustration of that moment of the temptation yeah. of, like, you know, here she is, Jessica, saying, telling someone not to do something, and she's doing it as commandingly as possible, but it doesn't work. And only right. somebody with these, like, evil powers is able to actually have that result happen. Absolutely. And it totally, I think, shows that, that little bit of, don't we all sort of want to be this evil, horrible person? We don't, but there are moments where we want the ability to. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. everyone's been to dinner with their partner and their partner starts telling a story and you're like, you need to stop talking immediately. <laughs> That's not a story I want told. And we would all yeah. come through them in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. So also a thing that I do love about this episode is the um, awful, painful, horrific scene with Hogarth and her wife. Oh, yeah. And so the good. mediation, right, where you're just like, it's just this excruciating moment, right, that just gets dragged out in this way that you're just like, oh, everything here is awful. <laughs> but it's so well played. Uh, I, I think Jerry might be my favorite character. She, she's pretty great. Insights to, uh, do you have any Actually, you know, if you don't mind, like, if you want to reflect back on the show a little bit more broadly, if you have any, because we actually haven't had any lawyers on yet. If you have any lawyer oh thoughts you want to share with us, um, oh, we dear. would appreciate those. Well, I, I think that that scene in this episode is remarkable. I think, I think the character of Jerry is maybe my favorite character on the show. It, mm. She's so well drawn. She's so specific. I don't want to name names of lawyers I've worked with that she reminds me of, but there is, there are just, that is a type, and it's a type you so rarely see by a female, being played by a female, but in real life you absolutely see that person who is female who is like that. I think it's a little bit less common, but it definitely exists. Um, There's that moment in that scene 
where, you know, she's saying to Wendy, is that what you still want? Is that what you want? She sort of gets a little bit softer, and it's all a technique, and you can see it. And I think the most effective, both from from the writer-performer side of me and the lawyer side of me, when she leans over to her lawyer and just says, you know what I want, and just gets up. Because she, yeah, it is the most amazing strategy move. Yeah, it, it communicates everything so clearly. I, yeah. I just can't get enough of her on the show. I want yeah. her in every single scene. Well, and I, the thing I love about her is like, so one of my most common complaints with The Wire, which is like everybody and their mother's favorite TV show ever, and I think it's a great show, but I also hate that there are basically no women in it, and that the women in it are basically men. Uh, that like all of the female characters are in that show basically act like men. And Jerry is a character that was originally supposed to be played by a man. And they, you know, and there are, like you said, this, this is kind of an archetype that one expects to be a man, but she's so well done as a woman, mm. as a queer woman that like in this whole thing that like, even though, right, you could easily sort of like, stick a guy into most of the things that she does and most of the ways that she acts. But like just little bits of things that you're just like, this is, again, this is like the show is put together by women who understand women and women who Absolutely. like women and are interested in women rather than like mm-hmm. men who think that everybody is basically a man. Um, <laughs> I think it's really nice to see a woman who isn't grasping for power, who has power. Right. She's yes. the queen of her domain, and when someone's trying to challenge it, she'll step on them. But she right. does it in this, for the most part, highly controlled. When she gets angrier, she gets quieter. And I think that yeah. frequently you see caricatures of women in power who get shrieky or, right. you know, a lot of stereotype, stereotypical ways of trying to project power. And this, she just fills that space so beautifully. Right. And, yeah. and I could see her yelling at me that my document production wasn't right and that I need to go back to my office and check the citations again. I can completely I'm so sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No and one also deserves how that. how crazy it makes her when she can't get Wendy to do what she wants. Um, right? That you just like watch to do what that, she wants. Right. When the, you just watch that sort of like make her like, she doesn't fall apart. She doesn't fall apart like no matter how awful things get, but she just like loses her edge a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you watch her like. Insisting... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the fact that she keeps insisting that there has to be dirt about Wendy is so telling because I, there, I'm thinking there probably isn't any actual dirt about Wendy that would be pertinent to this. Co- I mean, I don't. I, this is maybe all stuff everybody's like. Actually, Ilana, in episode ten, we'll find out. Blah blah. Don't respond. <laughs> but I'm looking at this and I'm like, Wendy just seems like a regular person, like. What would that dirt about her be like? I don't know. I basically, you know, right. all doctors seem to have done like large quantities of study drugs while doing their residency because they're forced <laughs> to work forty-eight hours straight. Um, but if yeah. they were just barring people for that, they would were just just doctoring people for that. There would be no doctors. The system is entirely yeah. exploitative and dangerous. So like, right. what is normal? Like, what is she going to blackmail her with? She needs to yeah. stop beating up on Jessica. Oh my God! Though, and I had such a moment of fear when Kills Killgrave was text messaging, you know, Jerry about, like, yeah, I, I don't know what I was scared of, but I was scared. Bitches also, that his response is bitches, said, man. Oh yeah. God. I love that. Bitches, am I right? Oh. God, God, it's like exactly what you would say. Yeah. 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 
there's something lovely also with like the dichotomy I find at least that the sort of the two sides of the coin of light and dark to me sort of in the show are not Kilgrave and Jessica. They are Trish and Jerry. And that to me is like the two opposite sides and Jess is in the middle. And so anytime I can, you see an episode where in one scene you've got Trish being just completely focused on somebody else. That is her deal. Jessica, Jessica. And then, you know, five seconds earlier or later, you just see Jerry insisting that her wife of like, 20 years get zero dollars yeah yeah and also trish it's funny because the episode is, is wwjd but it's really what would trish do right that that's mm-hmm. where the whole thing hinges is she actually goes and says like what would you do Let's and talk then, about trish i mean i guess it does flip and, and still ends up being what would jessica do but like yeah like she even says that but lots of it really is her trying to question what she was what, what, what trish the most moral person yeah. she knows would do right you, uh, yeah right. think about Trish in this episode, you know, do you have any particular thoughts or observations about her in this one? So there was one moment that I was watching where I actually had to turn on my closed captioning because there was a mutter I could never make out. And it's kind of about Trish, but it's more actually about Simpson and sort of the PUA stuff we were talking about earlier. Oh, God, when yeah. She, yeah. Oh, it's, everything about him kind of makes me crazy. He's the one yeah. character when he comes on the screen, I'm like, no, good. But yeah. when she goes to find him, he's walking with his bros, and she right. comes up to him. The first thing he says to her, and I had to turn on the closed captioning, hey, babe, you look amazing. What? Mm. That's what he says when she like, confronts him out of the shadows after being radio silent for days, and she's like, where have Stop you been? Yeah. There's a psycho after all of us. And he's like, you look great. Yeah. He's, I mean, the worst. Is he is so the worst. Douche cop is always douche copping, but this episode, like, he felt not just douche copy, but also incompetent in, like, oh, a number God, of he's, ways. He's so bad at his job. He's so terrible, and I'm so glad that he starts to not be like, oh, he's going to be the great, like, male love in. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> Come on. Uh. That guy's terrible. <laughs> that guy is terrible. Ugh. F that guy and his, like, savior complex and everything else. Like, Go away. Nobody wants to deal with you. Stop trying to blow things up. He's just like such like the other side of like the male pathology of Kilgrave. It's like, again, it's well done, but it's just like, oh, God, I want you to go away already. You know, an interesting thing about him in this episode is he does not respect Jess's autonomy and decisions. No, exactly. So that's yep. what I mean. He's not, exactly. He's the other side of, of Kilgrave, right? He's this dude who, like, you know, has his own issues and basically lets his man feels also his man feels take over everything. So like he feels guilty. So it doesn't matter that like Trish probably never wants to see him again because he tried to kill her. He's going to like show up outside her apartment door and have man feels until she lets him in. Um, And then he's going to like continue to just like show up everywhere and have man feels until he gets his way or, you know, plant a bomb in the basement or whatever. But it's just like, go away with your sad cop feelings. Nobody Uh, cares. Isn't this his first episode also? Oh God! Isn't this the first episode? It's confirmed that he's gone AWOL from work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, also that the weird thing that where guy. like he ta- he like dismisses Jessica's autonomy. He's like, "No, I'll handle this with a with a bomb." Manly man. Like when she physically forces him to be like, "Respect my authority, leave." When he then <laughs> sees Trish, she then like claims everything Jessica just said. Like we should let her handle it. Like it's his idea. 
Yeah. It's a good point. Which is just such a great little encapsulation of how things work. Yeah. But it's, oh, how God. do you like that I, work? I know that it's great commentary on bros like that, but it's borderline painful to have to actually sit through. Especially yeah. on like a second viewing, I was like, oh, yeah. shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. That's how I feel so much about this show, though, right? It's just like you're watching it. It's like too real, too real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cannot do this because I can't punch him in the face like Jessica can. Well, people. I mean, I could, but it wouldn't be nearly as painful. Yeah, <laughs> people have had conversations actually, though, about like what shows do you mix in with watching Jessica Jones so that you don't like want to cry in a corner immediately afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I had to do Miss that. Miss Fisher's like, murder mystery. I was like this episode in. And oh, I was okay. Like, I need to Everybody watch some Galvan now. Brett, you had a palate cleanser. What was your palate cleanser? For, for what? In between marathon and Jessica Jones. Jones. Uh, heavy drinking. Um, Rocky. I, <laughs> oh, didn't you I, watch all of it in like 24 <laughs> hours, Brett? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah. I watched. Uh, like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm one that likes to torture myself. I could. I don't know if any of you seen American Crime either, but I've like went through the first like half the first season and like months have not. Too. No. It's just as no. disturbing. Yeah, I can't. It's, no, the ads for that before. like make me like sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, you know, I'm sad about right. that raccoon with the cotton candy. So, like, really, people don't like <laughs> let me get near a lot of adult content for obvious reasons. Um, but it's okay. It's okay. I have. Yeah, I watch cartoons. I mean, and those make me cry too. But um, they, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I you know this, this definitely was something where I, I watched both episodes like I watched in, in very close together I, I, for my rewatch in this case. But you know the moments that I was really dreading were the neighbor coming by, and then also Jessica's Oof. weird dream where her family are dead. And oh yeah, kind of the world's most generic fear dream, and I was sort of like, mm-hmm. oh my god, you're having the most generic nightmare. But it is kind of realistic yeah. in its genericness. But to me, those are the two things that I really didn't want to see this episode. I actually was totally okay with, like, the bomb stuff because I knew how that was all going to, how, how, you know, she yeah. was going to come come on the end. I definitely felt like Simpson's acting, like the actor who plays Simpson, his name escaping me, um, was very over the top in this episode. And, like, almost Yeah, he's not a very good actor either. No. He is really good at looking like Captain America's um, stunt double. Like, he is very good. Oh, at yeah. I go Harvey job. Dent on that. I still argue Harvey Dent. I oh, know yeah, he looks more like Eric yeah. He's supposed to be a man baby. He has, he has Captain America's brown motorcycle jacket. Um, in, in fairness, I want Captain America's brown motorcycle jacket. I, I do, look too. Horrible, I, we I, all I, do. Uh, and also the, the also post jacket from Star Wars. There's lots of jackets yes. that I want. Yes, yes. Yes, um, there, there are a lot of good jackets in, in the pop culture There are great jackets in this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jessica's jacket. Well, actually, Jessica's winter coat looks very much like my winter coat, which makes me happy. Oh, it um, does. Yeah. That makes me very jealous because I love her winter coat. I got it at Burlington Coat Factory. It could be. Coat Factory. Oh, there you go. Oh, so let's talk about moral math, as he puts it, because he's British, and that's what they say because they're hilarious. Um, he talks, uh, Kilgrave wants to talk about whether or not Jessica is actually the kind of person who brings up, like, you can't balance the scales when, you know, he's saying, oh, you tried to save me. And she's like, I don't want another death on my hands. And that begins yeah. to work of a conversation the two of them have within this episode over 
whether or not you can balance the scales. And of course, she's like, you can't because saving one life does not bring the life of the person you killed back. Um, yeah. But it's something which like a lot of people in the real world think you think is true, right? Like the inventor yeah. of the Nobel Prize invented dynamite and he invented the Nobel Prize because he didn't want to be remembered for inventing dynamite. Yeah. Well, like, and she, I mean, the thing about that that's funny, right, is that she spends the entire show basically trying to make up for all the awful things she's done. Um, mm-hmm. That's why she's stalking Luke Cage, right, is because she killed yeah. his wife. Um, and she, you know, yeah, so, like, she, on the one hand, like, believes you need to sort of atone for the bad things you did and also believes that she can never actually really be forgiven, which is where, like, the guilt dream of her family comes in, right, that, like, she assumes that she is, you know, eternally unforgivable for all of these things that she's done, but also that she still has to sort of somehow find a way to make up for it. And so, you know, that usually manifests itself in like heavy drinking and weird bouts of superheroing. But like, you know, and the difference between her and him is that he just thinks that he can like, you know, magically make up for the things he did or that the things he did weren't even that bad anyway. Um, and so, you know, it's a, a question of like, not whether you can balance the scales, but whether you like have remorse at all, <laughs> whether you understand your role in the things you have done. Well, it's sort of like the relation of the whole idea of penance, right? Like the idea of like yeah. recognition of a bad thing and doing good works, not to, un- you never undo the bad thing, but that there is more to you than the bad thing. Right. This is one good work doesn't define you, one bad work doesn't define And so, like, I think it, her deal is that sort of idea, which for him it is pure mathematics. Hmm. Like, for every good thing, it's a piece of coal. For every for every good thing he does, it's a diamond on a scale. For every bad thing, it's a piece of coal. And as long as they balance, he's kosher. And he's, yeah. like, high on life when, he, they, when, they, when they go and help at Justice Insistence, the, um, the family who's being held hostage, he comes home and is like, I want cake. I mean, he's right. been you know, this poor man and woman have been literally been tortured by him. And when he comes home, he wants them to make him a cake because he feels good. He feels like high on life. Right. And then he asks if that's why she does it, you know, so that she can feel good about him herself. Yeah. And so it's just Which a is a good point, moment. too, right? When you're talking mm-hmm. about superhero shows, it's like, why do these people do this, really? Yeah. <laughs> when you look back on it, you know. That is kind of why Tony Stark does things, right? Tony Stark mm-hmm. basically is that guy. Yeah. All the most interesting superheroes tend to have some, like, everybody's dead and I feel bad about it. And then there's always, like, yeah. a few who are like, this looks fun. <laughs> like, yeah, the motivations are an important, really an important theme and question throughout a lot of different characters. Like, you know, one of the... I could get really obscure. Like one of the things I always appreciated about Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, is that she was very transparent about the fact that she like likes having superpowers and fighting people, and she's not going to do that to innocent people. So she, I guess she'll do it to, to 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 quote bad guys quote. Like you know, whereas so many other people have like different kinds of more subtle motivations or political motivations. That's interesting for a female character who's just like, well, I like beating up bad people. I'm sorry, no, she likes beating people up. Therefore, she'll beat up right. bad people. And I was like, yeah. that's. That's interesting. So, you know, I mean, in yeah. this show, we sort of get, get you know, like, you know, different different people, different motivations. The X-Men's motivation is complicated and doesn't really work, but God bless them. Oh, actually, speaking, <laughs> of ben Kenobi, speaking of Ben Kenobi, though, I mean, this show has really got me to question, like, my thoughts about Jean Grey 
um, you know, the telepaths from X-Men. Obviously, like, you know, we're talking about lots of different versions of a character who's been on cartoons and movies and comics since the 60s. But, you know, I mean, I think that this show just absolutely holds. Like, this is the one, the one episode where they play around with the question of, like, can you use your powers for good? And they do mm-hmm. use their they do use the powers for good in this one. But I feel like the show is like really firm in saying like, you can't, it's a violation. So like, yeah. it's a really good thing that Jean Grey can't appear on this show because yeah, <laughs> by the show's moral math, Jean Grey is from the X-Men is evil. Cause she well, this mind is why I always, this is why I always liked Emma Frost better, right? Cause Emma Frost was always about the ambiguities and, and the darkness of the particular powers that she had. Right. Even when Emma Frost is a good guy, she's still, you know, the things she can do to your mind are always painted as somehow like something you shouldn't trust. Right. Where like Professor Mm -hmm. X and Jean Grey, you're supposed to just be like, oh, great, you can get inside my head. Like, right. Like there's a reason Magneto (laughs) wears a helmet. We're going to get real. But like, like we, we forget a lot that like actually Magneto's helmet serves to keep Charles Xavier out of his head. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that actually, that might be a totally rational thing to do. <laughs> Especially when they're ex-boyfriends, it's canon. Um, mm-hmm. But, right, and so this is why, right, I find, like, Emma Frost a much more interesting character in terms of, like, X-Men characters who have mind control powers um, because she struggles with it. And she, you know, at some point just sort of gives in and is evil with it and at other points, like, tries to, you know understand whether and how much at all she can use it and not just totally go back over to the, you know, mixing our metaphors to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've also been talking about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was a whole thing about Professor X and, like, him using his powers for bad uh, erase genes, memory, and I don't know if that's actually right. canon anymore or whatever. I mean, we, yeah. And it is. No, all of this Professor and X. Didn't they like, on that? I mean, I Professor X did all kinds of fucked up shit in the Silver Age. And mm-hmm. like, like pretending he's dead, you know, these are things that you really learn when you listen to the JMLs explain the X-Men podcast, but it's true. I, I think that like canonically we're supposed to have a critical view of professor X's actions at this point, you know, in yeah. X-Men history. Well, and I, I, you know, again, I, I think that that's why, um, the sort of X-Men first class timeline in the movies is really interesting because it actually deals with the sort of ambiguities of both of them rather than like, here's the good guys and here's the bad guys. And Magneto is just sort of a, a, you know, mutant Nazi, whatever. And like instead actually deals with whatever. We're totally off track now because we're just going to nerd out <laughs> about the X-Men, but yeah, but I this episode, it's a, mm-hmm. anyway, no, this episode it's really is the one that made me most think about that. Yeah, 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 and this episode is really the episode I felt like made me think about that a lot. Uh, speaking of yeah. superheroes, though, this is also the episode where Jessica Jones flies, and I have to yeah. say, I know, I knew that she had that superpower because it's in the comics, but yeah, I had forgotten. Like the way the whole show is framed and done, I had forgotten that she could fly, and that's like you know, bravo to the to the TV show. Actually, I think that speaks to. You know, Jessica, like, flying is a metaphor for, like, freedom, right? So Jessica on the show is, like, so miserable and oppressed and, like, that she can't fly. Do you know what I mean? Even though she physically can. And that this this is the one circumstance where she allows herself to do so. 
And then you have someone like me who like knows that Jessica Jones, the character in the comics, has the power to fly. And I've completely forgotten that that was even on the table until it happened. I think that's kind of a major achievement of the, of the show. Brett, did you remember? Do you forget about Jessica's ability to fly until you watched this? Um, I remembered it. It was all, you know, I questioned why she didn't use it more. Because um, there was definitely situations where I was like, "Why isn't she using this?" It's I think it, it's fascinating that she was so willing to use it at that point because she's used it so little at other spots and seems mm-hmm. so apprehensive to actually use her power in public in front of like strangers. Um, that I think it was really interesting that she did it as she like held Kilgrave and was getting the hell out of Dodge in front of like everyone else. Like that's the point she chose cho- uh, chooses to use her power. As opposed to flying with him when she had him earlier, you mean, like, at the coffee shop? Yeah, I mean, there's there's times like that. Um, there is points when... Well, when she had him know, at the coffee shop, she's literally in the middle of, like, hundreds of, the world. of thousands of people yeah. in yeah. Union Square. But, like, this was, like, a dark suburban side street with, like, the cop who already knows that superpowers exist because he knows that Kilgrave can control minds. But it's, like, there's points where... So it's, like, slightly more reasonable moment to do a thing that she wouldn't want to do in front of the entire world. It's less likely that there's like a Channel 9 news truck who's going to catch it on yeah. you know, right. in this juncture then, middle of the day, by Bryant Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, I, I, I do feel like, like this the, is a good reveal. Like the reveal was handled very well. But there's like the scene when they're, they're driving away and they have him in the truck when she could mm-hmm. have just like at that and being pursued when she could have just grabbed him, flown away, and like that would have been it and they wouldn't really have been able to pursue her anymore. So I mean that my yeah. thing, like I I she said it's, it earlier. Oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like she, she she's made comments where she's like apprehensive about using her power. She's not like totally into it. I remember when she so I again like didn't read it from the comics so I didn't know about it except when she was sitting with uh, Luke and they were sort of back and forth saying what are their powers and he specifically asked right. her to why and yeah. she says it's Control more like falling. jumping really far and so I think that like there's a limit and we don't see it, the way that this episode uh, cuts off you don't see how far she takes him I think it's more of an up and away like I don't think she could have gone coffee shop to wherever she was going to take him purely by flight Yeah. so I think like cover of darkness I think it's sort of a limited-ish cat. Like, she's not Superman flying. So I don't know that there were... It didn't strike me as there were a lot of places where she could have pulled it out that she didn't. But I did like the way that it did seem like the the sort of big metaphoric reveal at the end of this episode, like reminding everyone, A, she has this power, and B, it's sort of the all of the piece with her deciding to, what would Jessica do? Jessica would drug you and then fly away. <laughs> all things Trish would not do. I mean, yeah, I love that that posed the question. is like, okay, ultimately, what would Jessica do? Is she going to go and, like, you know, sacrifice herself? I mean, it really would be sacrificing herself to give her life to the cause yeah. of using Kilgrave's powers to, like, do good as opposed to evil, to the extent right. that that could even be done. And she steps out. She finds a third way, you know, of dealing with the situation, basically, which involves, like, really well-delivered... Like, I didn't expect her to, 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 to drug him in that moment. I really, I don't know. I didn't see it coming. He certainly didn't see it coming. Did you guys see it coming? Yeah, well, he's not that, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. 
That's true. Um, no, I didn't. So did, I didn't see yeah. it coming. Again, I, I was. I kept waiting for this episode to just be like, "Oh God, don't go there." <laughs> I thought the brilliance of it was of her drugging the help takes them out of the equation. I think mm-hmm. that's yeah. like really, yeah. really smart and shows how bright she is when it comes to figuring it out. Because if she didn't do that, he would have been able to do something to them. So, like, taking them out is key. Yeah. The order that that all happened was well executed. I, yeah, I, 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 you know, that whole, the ending really is for me, like what made this episode really good. I don't know if, I don't think I would say this is my favorite episode and I don't really know if I have a favorite episode, but, um, yeah. but the ending was really excellent. It was really excellent. Mm. Including like when she gets out of the house and like Simpson and his like fake black ops guys are all yeah. like, we got, we got it, man. I'm going to take care of the shooter. Like one of the things that Jessica does is good is Jessica Jessica worries about hope. Jessica wants to protect hope, you know. And whereas, she's the like, only character that remembers that's a thing that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like even if you agree with Simpson that Kilgrave is too dangerous to be allowed to live, you have to accept that killing him means that hope will go to jail forever, and that's not okay. And Simpson just thinks it's so. Think Simpson just is like, well, that sucks to be her. It's more important to stop Kilgrave. He's like made a moral math or moral maths, as it were, uh, decision <laughs> that is um, really ignoring the problems of this one young woman. Yeah, well, Simpson's the worst. Yes. <laughs> He's the worst. I almost feel glad. No. Every though, I roll my eyes every time I see him, and then I was like, oh, good, one last, yeah, good grief for the episode when she goes out in the street and it's like, no, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, my why, God. Why oh, yeah. are you so here? In the end of the episode, the neighbor, it's interesting. The actress is good because she seems completely different while she's, been, while she's being killgraved. Um, the actress, uh, the, the, the neighbor is sent out with the bomb. And oh, she's so that, good. Oh, right? Like, it was really well done. The bomb explodes. You know, like, we see... She, I thought it was really powerful that the the camera scrolls back, pulls back, and you see her burning limbs in a pile, basically. Like, it shows you, like, how visceral and terrible this is. Like, even if we don't like her, like, we didn't want that to happen. This show does gory violence so well. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like, oh, we we haven't shown anything physically horrifying yet today. Let's make sure we get extra shots of her smoking flesh. Yeah. My big thing is... I don't know. I think think there are moments where it goes way overboard with it, and it's like, you didn't really need to do that right there. Um, This was not one of them. This one, I think, is, in fact, like a a sort of, wow, that just happened. Um, But, like, yeah, there are definitely moments in the show where it's like, I I don't think you needed to do that. You just, like, wanted some emotional impact that you didn't work for. Hmm. Can you give me an example? I don't remember if it's before or after this episode, so I don't want to oh, spoil okay. anything oh, that thank people... You. Okay. Not, not, because it's me, been a while since I've... For me, that whole thing, the, that scene doesn't make sense. Because, like, if hmm. you really think about what goes in, what would have had to gone in to for Kilgrave to, like, set that all up, he would have had to basically tol- tell her, be like, okay, hold this bomb, and stare out your window until this dude shows up and then walk over. 
which well, to me just seems a but little. But I see him doing it. He did do that to the to to the, to the kids to to Alva and Raul. He he did. He told them sit in the window and wait till X Y Z happens and then do A B C. But the thing is, is like we've established that his power goes away after a while. That it. Um, it, it, like it has limits. So to me, it's just like it's one of those plans that seems to be so over the top that I just kind of roll my eyes and being like, really? Like y- you needed to do this? I mean, they they needed to do something to get uh, Deputy Dipshit to the next step. <laughs> but <laughs> like yeah. this was just I no I don't know. Like I I just this was one of those was like it just feels too like comic book villainy. I'm thinking twenty steps ahead sort of thing. Huh. I yeah, I didn't know what to expect when that happened. Um and uh I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, Brett, but it didn't like I you like realistically I think you're right, but it just didn't bother me. Yeah. I also just I think he's like one of the worst things for the show, so I pretty much anything in the world. He is terrible. I'm sorry. Does is there anyone like you know far more about like Damn reactions than I would. Are there people who are like he's great? No, I haven't heard anybody no. defend him really. I mean, <laughs> I and I've heard people okay. defend. I've heard people defend Kilgrave. I mean, not personally. My friends of mine who get like angry emails have heard people defend Kilgrave, but I have not heard wow. of people defend defending douche cop. I, oh God, I that mean, says a lot. It isn't it? Like his douche is just that much more. I don't know why they, they guess they, well, so I was just going to say though, like, I, but I think douche cops inclusion in the show is so important and valuable because you can't just have it be this one kind of male villain who's so fucking evil that like yeah. you have to be willfully blind yeah. and not see it. It's better. You also want to have like this guy who's like a normal guy doing normal guy kind of douchey things. I mean, he's not a normal guy though. He's a cop. True. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? That's like, he's, a not, he's not a supervillain in that way. Like, <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. Like, well, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, uh, no, but, I mean, he is, he is like, right. He's, like, the other side. Again, he's, like, the other side of the, the you know, fucked up dude behavior, right? Instead of, like, you know, telling everybody what to do explicitly he just like shows up and has man feels until he manipulates people and doing what he wants yeah i mean basically, um, you know, he really feels like he's a hero so like killjoy kill, <laughs> kill killjoy Ray thinks he's a hero <laughs> of a romantic comedy where he's going to win the girl in the last scene and you know Cap thinks he's the hero of captain america and he's not captain america he's budget captain he america he is not captain america <laughs> So I feel like, no. that issue, like each one of them thinks that they're in a different movie, basically, and they're wrong. They're not. God, I would love to see like the super cut. I'm sure someone on the internet has made of Jessica Jones, the romantic comedy with like the score of a romantic comedy just intercut oh, of Kilgrave and Jessica. I bet it's great. <laughs> and if it's not oh out God. there I'm yet, sure it will amazing. be in two days. I don't think I could take it. I don't think I could watch it. But you're probably come on right. internet, impress us, make it. <laughs> challenge I hope someone accepts because that would be amazing oh I shudder thinking about that but it would be so amazing I know like, I don't I'm... think I could watch it <laughs> it would be um, so good if I had any editing skills I would make it tonight just for the internet hate <laughs> the other thing that, so uh, I got a question on is, is like the USB being buried 
we've never like given any logical reason why the USB was buried, right? No, no. Well, yeah. Reba would have it. I mean, maybe maybe we do in the next episode. But from oh, what I've I... seen so far, I don't know why she had it, and I don't know why it was in a buried box. I've watched and I don't it, know, and I couldn't yeah. even tell you what the answer is. Mm. <laughs> I, I was kind of almost hoping we'd find out. I don't remember. We might. Uh, good thing we rushed it. I'm watching it all again. Um, so, yeah. Um, the, oh, so the other, other thing to note that I have goes back towards the beginning when they have their first dinner and Jessica's drinking that she blames her, her <laughs> drinking on, on Kilgrave and she pounds, like, the bottle. Like, uh-huh. for me, I, the only thing that or something that stood out to me is there's the scene with the flashback of her quitting her job and she talks about going day drinking on her resume, which to me would indicate that she drinks a lot. Yeah. Like there's just, to me, there's something that's like a little disconnect where she's like, no, I drink because of you. When clearly she was, might've had some issues beforehand. She might be drinking more because of him. I don't, I don't want to throw around day drinking means you have a problem. <laughs> I mean, not that I do that a lot, but uh, I got the I, I feeling she does it a lot. Different. All right. Uh, I got I got the, the the feeling of like there's the drinking of someone criminally bored, which is was the sense I got from that flashback time. Of hmm. just she is so beyond what she's doing that she is that recreational user kid who is just like, oh God, life. Ugh. And then there's bottle of wild turkey for dinner drinking. Don't knock that. Like, it's fulfilling. I am not. <laughs> Whatever it takes to take the dreams of your bloody little brother away, I think everyone should do. Oh, God. <laughs> that, to me, was the difference. Fair. Uh, yeah. Right. It was more of a, like, hey, this was the sense I got. I want to see if anyone else got the sense. Clearly not. Um, yeah, I think that's everything, all my notes. Uh, so, Is there anything mm-hmm. else that anyone wants to bring up? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Touched upon everyone's thoughts for the episode. All right. Awesome. Um, okay, yeah, so... I, I just, real quick, I just wanted to, I do want to say, though, I really do feel like flying is being used as a metaphor for, like, positive feeling and freedom and that she has not allowed herself to fly because she has, like, because she feels like shit. So she forces herself to allow herself to do it. I don't know. I thought it was supposed to be a little bit inspirational in that way. But that's all I got. Yeah, I can see that. Especially yeah, she explicitly says it earlier that she is a piece of shit. Exactly. That's one of my favorite moments in the show, which is like some shit and shit stinks. Ugh, uh, yeah, in a pile. In a pile uh, on 7th, 7th Street, actually. Okay, but that's what I got. So. Cool. Uh, well, so since no one else has any notes, uh, we've come to the episode where our guests can plug their various things. Uh, so we'll go one at a time. We'll start with Sarah, and then Amanda, you're next. So Sarah, uh, where can people find you, connect with you online, et cetera, et cetera? Um, let me see. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah with an HL Jaffe, although I don't tweet much these days because I'm theoretically trying to finish my book, which will be out next August. Um, from Nation Books. So that's the most exciting thing in my life. All right. And Amanda? Uh, people can uh, follow me on Twitter. I am at Kanda Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. And uh, I am performing uh, Tuesday nights at the Magnet Theater with my musical improv team, Goats. 
Uh, that's down in Chelsea, and we are playing uh, this coming Tuesday, the 12th at 9, and the following Tuesday, the 19th at 10, and the 26th at 8. Awesome. They're really uh, funny. I, I have seen the musical improv website? many a time. Is there a website for folks to find you at in case they can't make those dates? Sure. Uh, so uh, all of our, our team's stuff is all posted at magnettheater.com, and there's a whole separate page for ensembles, and Ghost is listed right there. Cool. And you can also Excellent. find us at Ghost Musical Improv on Facebook. Perfect. I want people want you to you know people to find y'all. Uh, so thank you for joining us. We re- I re- really appreciate it. Um, awesome as always. Always a great discussion. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right. Good night, guys. Yeah, night. So Brett, Brett, we will be back. You and I and yes, a new round of guests on yes. Sunday, Sunday, eight p.m. Sunday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I to believe talk so. Yes. Yeah. Episode, where are we at? So nine. Be, uh, at nine, yes. Episode nine. Uh, so, yes, you're, you're going to be joining for Jessica twice this week. Um, so, join us next, or this coming Sunday for our next episode, and that'll be up on Blog Talk Radio for you to tomorrow. And then our Monday show with our guest, Jody Hauser, who is part of the team giving us uh, the new series Faith from Valiant Comics, one of our anticipated comics of 2016 will be the following day that monday so um you're getting four episodes of uh graphic policy radio and jones and for jessica in two-week period um yeah we're ambitious oh and for people who are like not comic book readers really who are listening to the show you might want to check out our episode that we're doing on monday as well um about uh, with the writer of faith faith is the first superhero comic with a plus-size lady superhero like there hasn't been one in her own series before so that's a pretty ra- radical and important thing to do. I'm trying to think, that's probably funny. right. I can't think of another character. Right, because Amanda, Amanda, um, Amanda Waller in Suicide Squad is not a superhero. She no. is a very morally gray character, <laughs> and she doesn't have superpowers. Whereas awesome. Faith has superpowers, is superpowers yeah. and is a hero. Yeah, I really can't think of any. Um, so yeah, I, I, this could definitely be a first. First, we'll we'll bring that up on Monday because it's a interesting conversation. So it should be really fun. Um, part of our Kick Ass 2016 that's going to be going on. So thank you for listening as always. Uh, if you came in late or want to catch this on repeat or share it with folks, you can uh, catch this episode of Jones and for Jessica on iTunes. And Stitcher, they'll both be loaded up a little bit after this episode ends. I really don't know the time frame, unfortunately, uh, but within like an hour. And it'll also be on Blog Talk Radio. Um, it's usually within like 15 minutes or so after the show ends uh, as well. And then the show will also be uploaded on SoundCloud uh, probably tomorrow uh, and shared around, posted on graphopolicy.com, which is where you can find us every single day. Of course, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. So until next time, thanks for listening. We always appreciate you joining us. Uh, and until next time, <laughs> I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Thanks for listening. Keep it geeky. <laughs>